Hello, welcome to episode 16 of the Real Talks podcast. If you're a first-time listener, I hope you enjoy listening to a show that lets you see another side to GA players by focusing on the person rather than the athlete. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching for Real Talks. And there you can access previous episodes with people like Cora Staunton, Kevin McMenamin, Eamon McGee, Michael Fenley and many more. If you're a returning listener, thanks for the ongoing support. By the time you are tuning into this, we should be past the 50,000 play account. And I strongly encourage all our community to keep spreading the word about the podcast to your friends, family and teammates. Anyway, getting back to this week's show, it was a real pleasure to have Leitrim legend Colin Regan on the podcast. As this was a conversation I've been looking forward to having for some time. Over the last number of weeks, I've spoken to players who have won more things than they can remember, the likes of Ushin McConville, Breach Corkery. But judging people just by what they've won is a fairly shallow perspective. Colin Regan, a loyal servant to his county for 15 years, very much reminded me how fortunate we are to have so many inspiring and authentic leaders in our games. Over the course of this conversation, Colin talked about what it was like to be a fierce competitor for the county with the smallest population in Ireland and how being a Protestant that thrived in the GA jersey helped shape his identity and outlook on life. Now, in his role as community and health manager in the GA, he is adamant that the association is about so much more than just the games. My name is Alan O'Mara, and you are listening to episode 16 of the Real Talks podcast. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to having for a while, because I think there's a different aspect and avenue there that maybe haven't explored and I was going to kick it off by, and you might kill me for this, but I was going to kick it off by reading a quote to you from a blog post that you did in 2013. Uh-huh. Um, I read it a couple of times over the last week or so. Um, it just really st- stuck with me and I, I related to an awful lot of it myself. And so I'll just throw it out to you and then I'll see what was going through your head as I read it out. Is that all right with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so in your own words, it says, one of the most common questions I was asked when year after year I returned to the fold of the Leitrim Senior Panel was, why do you do it? It's a question I never fully answered or at the time had to answer. I guess I was just going on instinct for the best part of 15 years. It just felt like the right thing to do. I thought it was a really interesting perspective um, and I was just curious to get it, I suppose, your own thoughts and explore that with you a little bit. Yeah, I suppose, you know yourself, when you're in the middle of something, uh, especially as something as busy as inter-county football and you know, holding down various jobs outside the county at the time, so just constant travelling, you didn't actually have the opportunity to reflect on why I'm doing this. Mm. So it was only afterwards uh, in in retirement then, and it was kind of a, a forced retirement due to um, injury. So yeah. it, that led to even greater reflection and, and exploring of, of oneself, I think, a little mm-hmm. bit, that I realised that it was just kind of very much bound up in my identity. Um, and like I, I think we all are looking for, to, you know, largely two things in our lives and one is meaning and purpose and and the other is something that gives us identity and for me sport was a massive part of my identity um i'm one of uh seven boys in the family and there's five sisters as well so a big clan you know and uh it was important i think we all in our in our own ways like i'm number 11 out Mm -hmm. of the 12 so at that at the tail end of the family in order to get it, to get noticed, you yeah. had to, you had to have an identity. Are <laughs> <laughs> you good at something? Yeah, so you know, there was my, my brother John would be, you know, he'd be known as the, the farmer, and the, mm. you know, the, the hunt, you know, he does a good bit of hunting and breeds pedigree cattle, and you know, Barber be, uh, used to be known as the bike racer, and you know, so there was my yeah. brother Gordon was a musician, 
so I, I discovered at a young age uh, that I was good at sport, that I found, uh, I found uh, that it, it reflected me quite well, uh, that I really enjoyed pushing myself to the absolute limit uh, and sport was a really good avenue for that. And then in terms of Gaelic games, there was no big tradition of it in my, in my family. Um, we'd be Church of Ireland tradition, not that mm. that you know, excludes you from sure. having a GA tradition at all. But So I did my schooling, national school and secondary school outside of my home county right. up in Donegal. But the club, when I come home at the weekends, provided me with a, an in into my local community that I might have missed otherwise and a way to socialise okay. with, with my friends at that age. And then as I, I, was, I was probably a late developer because there was no GA in my school. So hockey was the main one in mm. secondary school. Hockey was the main sport. So when I actually started hitting like under 16 was only when I started to flourish a little bit in, in football or at least, you know, show some potential. Yeah. So then all of a sudden I was up, you know, then at county level with under 16 minor, under 21. And it just opened up this here world of uh, new identity kind of in terms of coming from, being, first of all, being a Protestant getting to represent my county in a very non-traditional Protestant way. So I think it, it it really became bound up in a large part of how I saw myself and took huge, huge pride in that. Um, and then, I suppose, one of the big values my mother and father would have instilled in the family was um, about giving something back and about community participation. So if you're if you feel that you have the, the tools and the wherewithal to contribute in whatever way you can, and for me it happened to be football, uh, and I, I just felt there was a, an onus and a responsibility on me then for as long as I possibly could. If, if there was nobody that could take the jersey from me, Keep then doing it. absolutely do it as long as you can. It's funny how you trace it back even to that very young age where, you know, obviously, as you said, you're living away from home. Um, in a way, so when you come back, it probably means that little bit more and that you're getting to reintegrate with, say, the people that are around you. But also then, probably as, as you go up the years and as you get better, you also become sort of a, maybe prominent figure is not the right word, but you're sort of, you get that additional bit of respect, I suppose, and a bit of attention, which most young males have no issue with getting at times, whether they realise it or not. So, like, did that sort of help add to that as a, as a key strand of your life? Well, it's, yeah, that's a, that's a good point because, you know, you'd be out at home, Dad. We would have done a lot of the turf and, and hay and silage mm. around the, the, the country. We were you know, a small farm, um, but did a bit of the contracting. And uh, whenever you'd be out delivering turf up the, the mountains of Glenade or up to Mullock Moor or, you know, because where we're from, it kind of crosses boundaries, uh, the north, the very northern point of Leitrim. Okay. You know, it's more of a region. We right. are almost consider it because, uh, you know, Drumcliff and Sligo and Mullockmore and Bundorn and even Garrison and Fermanagh. You know, there are natural hinterlands. Mm. Um, so we'd be delivering turf here, there and everywhere or, or hay or doing hay. And they'd always say, oh, is that, is that the footballer? You know, and that, that's what you... Mm. So it, it, even if you didn't immediately identify people yourself... People are tagging it on to you. People are tagging it on to you. So I guess I, it, it can be a pro and a con... Because you can become, I was lucky. I had a lot of other interests in my mm. life as well. I played, played a lot, you know, a lot of soccer. I have interest in the arts, um, writing in particular, and uh, so I, I never, you know, I remember <laughs> meeting a, an old girlfriend's mother for the first time, and that was her first. She goes, "Oh, is this the footballer?" <laughs> uh, and I goes, "Amongst other things, yeah. <laughs> you know." <laughs> So yeah, it's they're, 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 it's it depends on how much you let it become sure. your identity. Others will 
tidy with it. Uh, and and that, there's no doubt that can be flattering at times yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. No, I think like the, the fact even that that age group, so you're probably, are you late teens at that stage or in the middle of the teens where you're able to say amongst other things, that um, you probably had a self-awareness there maybe that not everyone has at that age and where that they let maybe let the, I suppose, the attention that comes with playing for football because of for representing your club or representing your county, like you said, it just becomes that topic start a conversation on the label. Was having that self-awareness at, at a younger age something that you appreciate now looking back? Or did you realise you had that at the time? Uh, I realised that there was more to me than sport and that was obviously... A lot of that came from the home as well because okay. the, we weren't. I wasn't surrounded in GA yeah. in the house. I was the GA <laughs> in the house. You know, yeah. pre- pretty much. My older brother Barber would have played a good bit, but he did most of his playing over in London during the eighties when he when he emigrated. Uh, played with O'Connell Gales over there. Right. Um, but apart from us two, my, my the next brother up from me, Gordon, would have played up to just just a bit of senior ball but then discovered music and the other two don't uh, often mix so he went down that route yeah uh so yeah it was it was nice and that it wasn't all encompassing Mm -hmm. as and we you know sometimes i think even in my own club um you know that constant analysis and discussion around football uh, even in the immediate aftermath of a game, was it was never something that really did it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was a huge reflector on the game itself, but in my own time, and um, I, as soon as the game was over, I'd usually be looking to some other thing <laughs> to, to interest me and occupy me. I just thought that was interesting because I know, like over the podcast, I even this episode sixteen, over the previous fifteen, lots of people would have spoke about those identity maybe issues might be the right word, but just that sort of sense of trying to understand oneself and been maybe recognising that you are more that you're a player that you're a person as well as a player really I suppose on the playing side maybe so we'll probably come full loop and come back to some of the other stuff too that you've mentioned there I suppose even at the stage we are now where you reflect back what year did you what year did you make your Leitrim senior debut at what, the, what um, would that have been made my debut then in 97 got an absolute hiding at the hands of Galway uh, in, in, uh, in 98 in the championship um, made my league debut in '97 and, and championship debut right. in '98, and on, the, on their way to their All Ireland glory, of sure. course, a phenomenal Galway team. Um, so um, played pretty much. Um, I, I lived in Boston for two years. And what, uh, what years were those? 2000 to 2002. Uh, and apart from apart from those two, like I, I played the, the championship of 2000 all right mm-hmm. at home, but apart from that, uh, then uh, injury in 2010. Um, I, I dislocated my knee, and so that was the the end of the intercounty. So just managed to bridge three decades. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, over three, say three decades within a fifteen year, I suppose, I suppose spell. Like it's quite a long and prolonged career. And so when you mentioned say your championship debut, you get an absolute tanking from Galway. Um, and you go away. Thousand, oh, sorry, it was thousand, thousand and one, and you're away. And I know we've touched upon some of the identity issues there, but when you're coming back in, like what's in your own head about signing back up for that in terms of putting your body on the line, in terms of giving that sort of, I suppose it is the commitment in terms of, and you mentioned that you already knew at this stage that you had other things that you were interested in. So what was the, the big thing that was drawing you back in to say, I want to do this? Uh, in that facet of my life, just to see the best that I could be. Mm. I, I loved the commitment. Yeah. I, I Actually, I probably would have been quite good in the army, I think, <laughs> because that, that suits me. Yeah. Uh, and... Like I could never tr- actually. Uh, so my manager was it was over training. Right, okay. You know, with me, I used to, uh, you know, when in you days, never made it as a goalie. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I never, never, no hope as a keeper. 
uh, and that, you know, I, like I lived in Letterkenny for four years, uh, working with the Donegal News up there. And, you know, our training base at the time was the rugby club in Longford uh, under under uh, both Declan Rowley as manager and Desi Dolan, uh, senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a three-hour-plus uh, drive. Yeah, you know, proper drive, uh, mm-hmm. northwest drive. You're uh, not on the motorway. Uh, yeah, you're not on the motorway and you're, you're pushing the limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a six-hour round trip getting back into Letterkenny at, at half one. And that, it, it drained the body, mm-hmm. absolutely. But never during that period did it drain the mind. Really? Not, not, not during that period, not really. I was mm-hmm. always hungry to, to get to training. I was always hungry. To, at times you'd be bitching and moaning about it, of course, course yeah. you know, in, in it. But you, as soon as it was over and the next one was, the goal was set, I was, I was ready for it. The only time that it, it burnt me out was, um, and the irony was, it was the only time I ever lived in Leitrim. Right. <laughs> Play, while playing and in Garrick and Shannon, and I was editor of, the, of uh, a local paper for the time and it was just an impossible load to, to juggle. Do you put that down to... Obviously, the workload I know and I'm familiar with because I was working in a sister newspaper at the same time, which seems like about three lifetimes ago. Yeah, for the two of us. I know, huh? but, um, but, but it's just an interesting point that the only time you felt that burned out was when you were at home. And was it just the job or was it also then the emotional baggage or the conversations that were constantly around it then? Did that add to it? It, was, interest? it, it was a little bit of, of my life at the time mm. added to it, all right. Like, yeah. you know, we went to print on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday morning, so... Like I remember in particular one time we were over for a National League match in London. Mm. The game got cancelled the morning of the game. Like I, I, I could, I was just fit to be tied because yeah. because it, it looked like I was surprised that we made the trip. You know the weather wasn't good and you should uh, magically fill two pages as well. I'd say uh, or four. First of all, <laughs> fly back to Dublin, yeah. drive to the Carrick and Shannon, yeah. get into the office at eight in the evening and stay there till two o'clock in the, uh, Monday morning mm. and, and back in again at seven Monday, Monday morning. So and you know there was regular times traveling home from National League matches with the laptop open on the back of the bus or on the passenger seat of one of the lads' cars doing the column on the game yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was just a little, it, 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 the, there was no off zero mm. off at the time and nobody it's an no, interesting point that one nobody can function I believe in a, in a space of, of the, without downtime um, both mentally you can I think you can operate better with less downtime physically can, than you can mentally I think that's a great point because there's definitely a balance act there I remember someone said to me years ago I was doing a talk and they were, they were like if you got into the best car in the world and you just put the foot on the gas to the floor and just kept doing that and never gave it a break, never let up. Something's going to give. I think sometimes we get tricked into thinking that um, that we can sort of beat that system, but I suppose what you're probably saying there is we can't. Like there, there is no that that's a dysfunctional system. Mm. So it is. So if we try to operate in that, something always gives, and that's I think that's a largely why we're seeing a lot of people. That's why stress at the moment is the number mm-hmm. one reason why people are absent from work. You know, passing out back low back pain, and the majority of that back pain, I believe, would have been caused by stress anyway. Yeah. You know, because stress manifests in many ways for many people, and you know, people think, "Oh, I put me back out because I lifted something wrong." I, well, probably not. Actually, it's probably because your back was ready to go, and it's mm-hmm. you know, sim, uh, signifying something a, a lot deeper that's troubling the the body and the mind. So, there's a certain culture of busyness for the want of a better phrase that we have when you don't ask someone you know how you're getting on and your first reply to me might be i'm very busy um, and we all sort of wear that 
as a badge of honor. I'm like, oh, I'm busy. Like, how are you? Oh, I'm busy too. Like, you're busy. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, deadly. Like, yeah, I'm as busy as me. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> but like, the question only is when you ask someone how you're getting on is, in an idea where they like to hear back, I'm happy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and even though you are obviously very busy during those times, and you mentioned, say, that one when the newspaper where it, maybe it was getting stuck a bit, but for the large parts of playing and, and, you, and the commitment and involved and, you know, just taking on that on your life, right? It, it was, it was more, it was happiness though, was it? It was, I like at that particular period when I had too much on, I wasn't enjoying, mm. I wasn't enjoying my, my private life. I wasn't enjoying my, my football and I wasn't enjoying my career. Uh, and when I managed to pull, pull back, uh, all of a sudden I, I found that, that joy, that's, it's a big part of who I am anyway. I'm a very mm. positive, you know, I've got a positive outlook on life. I, mm-hmm. I, I love my life. I enjoy life. I enjoy sharing it with, with my friends and family. Um, and at that particular time of my life, I wasn't. So it was very mm. alien to me. And I could see that I wasn't uh, myself and others could see that I wasn't myself as well. Uh, and that spell, because I think there will be people listening that are going to have a stressful time in work, say they aren't enjoying it, or if they're someone that's playing sport is injured is out at the minute. I suppose, how did you navigate those problems? Obviously, you mentioned that you, you were able to identify it, maybe not straight away, but after a while. But were you able to sort of, not you, well, you, you clearly were, but able to navigate that to alleviate if it's pressure that you were feeling? Sometimes life in, uh, intervenes mm. as well, you know, and, and something does give. Uh, like I remember chatting to, to Desi at the time and just saying, you know, I, I actually need to take a step back here. Uh, and um, I remember Noel Moran was selected. Just Desi Dolan, the manager at the time. I, yeah, Des, Desi Dolan Sr. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he actually had a good chat with me uh, and I had a good chat with him talking about, well, is this actually the part of your life that you need to pull back from? Mm. Um, and, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. because um, I, I did manage to pull back a little bit uh, from work instead. And later that summer, uh, we had a, just a phenomenal run uh, with uh, with the Tommy Murphy Cup. Yes. Uh, and, you know, people can be quite disparaging about the Tommy Murphy Cup, mm. but actually the couple of games that run that we got was amongst the most enjoyable football I, I played in my career with Leitrim. What was it about that? It was because it was uh, the, there was there was no pressure. Mm-hmm. There was uh, throw the cards and see how they fall okay. kind of attitude within the squad. There was a few boys that got an opportunity that probably wouldn't have had an opportunity maybe in the championship right. and really made it a bit of a name for themselves mm-hmm. and and that energy was contagious and it, and you know what we had a couple we got a couple of writing nights out together mm. as a squad as well yeah. you know during that time that we often didn't get the chance to because we were spread all over the four corners of the okay. country and uh, it, it was a, it was just a, it was a lot of fun as sports should be yeah it was that's what's most, like the fact and look i'm not going to get into a fixtures conversation now and when i started this podcast series i was like one of the things i'm never talking about is the fixture calendar right because there's no like for this there's no point don't mention the um, f word no, like <laughs> but what, i just thought it was interesting for you to say there that like, if it was less pressure but more importantly i think is that it actually became a feeling where lads felt they could go out and enjoy it and express themselves mm-hmm. and is that something i suppose over the course of your entire playing career is that something that you manage to do more often than not though i always because it always strikes me as you were that type of person anyway that like to play like the spirit of it like giving it their all and seeing where if, and if you end up on the deck or if you end up on top that's fine but was that something that you enjoyed from that from your career playing that's that was my underlying attitude towards my career was just give your absolute all mm-hmm. and if that isn't good enough then you, you have absolutely no regret and 
I think the you know the, the, obviously I used to live with the fear of of losing and failure and and be driven by that to a degree as well. You know, I'm I'm very I'm human like that, mm -hmm. but. I just remember, I remember a, a, a good lesson. <laughs> it was a, it's funny where you pick up lessons like at, at boarding school one time, and you know, I was, a, I was a, the most competitive person I know. And I used to, you know, we used to race back from. First of all, we'd race up to school before school to play, get a game in before school, yeah. you know, game of soccer. Uh, then at lunchtime, try and fit something in, and then race back up to the boarding house after and, and get some five side going. And my younger brother Stuart was a year below me, and we were we were playing one day, and I ate him out of it, you know, for something. There was this, not exactly the FA Cup final, but I, I still ate him out of it. Yeah. And this lad Eddie Harn, I'll never forget it, a boy from Ballantra, just said to me, you know, Stuart doesn't take it as seriously as you do, <laughs> you know. And he's he's Stuart's trying his best, you know. Can your brain process that at the time? At the it was after even at that young age afterwards. It was the, it was an absolutely invaluable lesson. Mm. I'd say I was about fifteen, uh, and I don't think I've ever had the same attitude to losing since. Mm. Or now I, I I'd say a lot of my teammates would say that I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't ever stop. Yeah, but that's slightly different though with, with teammates because you're in a you're in a competitive environment. Yeah, you're talking about being in that's a, that's a completely different environment. It, it is a completely different environment, and it was it was just one of those really valuable life lessons that I've, I've tried to carry with me. Yeah. To, to, you know to mix success yeah. with you know I've, I've had lapses <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's absolutely one that I that meant it meant a lot to me learning mm. that at a, a fairly young age can I ask you then like because obviously that, that lesson is a very very valuable one and I think lots of people listen to that will either have been the person that was given out to someone else or will have been the person that's been given out to and sometimes if you're the person maybe that's been given out to that, that tends to turn them away from sports so be it a coach to a young a young child or a teammate to their friend but over so over the course of your, of your career with, with Leitrim, like there was more defeats than victories. That's but in championship, that's just it by nature. So was that ever was it ever problematic for you trying to obviously, even though you've learned that lesson, but actually trying to not accept it's not going to be the right word. But there is only a certain percentage of control you have as an individual player, and um, but there's loads of different factors in terms if it's if it's Leitrim against Dublin or like population, and you can go into all that stuff. But you know where I'm coming from in terms of the actual being an individual with that mindset. I suppose, and being in a team maybe that is trying to get up and trying to develop, but it's not, or I suppose not one of the top, the top tier counties. Was that ever problematic for you? Did I ever challenge it to say, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe this is not the right place to be. I know I've gone long-winded no, with that no, question, no, but I, I'm I trying know, to explain. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. No, I would, like, you know, I lived in Letterkenny for, I was saying, for a few years and, you know, would have trained with St. Unions at, a, uh, you mm. know, at some stages and they were pushing hard for, for Donegal Championships and, you know, my own club. We won a championship in uh, first senior championship in '98 since '61 uh, or '62. Okay. That um, must have been a huge high. It was. It was yeah. phenomenal. You know, it was. A, it was. It was a real milestone for the club and the community and for all the players involved. And uh, we we chased another title right throughout the noughties and, and and probably threw a couple away. And at the same time, the Leitrim team, um, after following good work by. Um, Joe Reynolds, well, Peter McGinnity, Joe Reynolds, um, uh, and, and Declan Rowley. We really had a, a group for four years under De Desi Dolan's senior that we, I feel we absolutely should have won a Connacht title. Mm. Uh, but we just didn't have that that final nth degree. And, and, and I think the big part of that was the, the winning habit. Mm. So, you know, we were 
absolutely competitive and um, like we pushed Mayo in, in 2006 in the semi-final to a point mm-hmm. uh, and I think had we gotten over that I think we would have won the Connacht title that year um, and I think I was that was one of the years that I, the, the night the day before my younger brother Stuart got married before okay. that game and I, I was best man and you know heading off from the wedding at, <laughs> at a quarter past eleven you know, just as the other as the two grooms did you drop the mic and just walk out oh, it was, that was a toughie you know, yeah. a family wedding your little brother you know we're Irish twins mm. 361 days between us yeah uh, the, the two groomsmen had just appeared in the Dumb and Dumber uh, <laughs> uh, tail, tops and tails suits, so it was going to be a good night. Yeah. Box you were just about to kick on, I, and you got to walk away, and then to go out and lose by a point, yeah. it was a, it was a kick in the guts. But that was the year. Then we went and we, you know, we got to the Tommy Murphy Cup final, mm. and uh, so to, it kind of goes back to the other point I was making earlier. If you have done everything you can possibly mm. do and I would never I would have left zero stone unturned in, in my preparation in terms of diet and you know strength and conditioning and sleep and every potential um centimeter I could eke out of it mm-hmm. uh, and, and and afterwards then absolutely you're devastated absolutely devastated but you realize that you know okay we we gave our all and in hindsight now you know looking way back on it you could probably see things that could have happened within the entire squad that might have you know gotten us that extra percent that we needed yeah. to, to get over the line as you know as Sligo managed you know when they you know they won a brilliant Connacht title there with uh, Eamon O'Hara mm-hmm. scoring a, a cracking goal and we just needed that X factor in a game every now and then that goal yeah. of the calibre of the type that Eamon scored you know we, we lost a qualifier match after extra time to Donegal we lost a qualifier match after extra time to Meath you know and we just couldn't quite make that breakthrough and looking back that's that's a, a disappointment yeah uh, but it was never enough to send me send me mm-hmm. <laughs> scurrying away while I was in the midst of it just as I'm listening to you there obviously like the the passion that you had for it, um, the enjoyment, even as you recall different games there, like you crack a smile even as you're thinking about it, you know. I know you referenced earlier on in terms of the injury which did end during your career, which was in 2010. So like it's a 15 year, it was a 15 year gap where on and off you've been given an awful lot for that. And I know I would have spoke to Dermot earlier about this a couple of weeks ago in terms of when, like there's two types of retirements. There's the there's the Brian O'Driscoll where you walk out the stadium waving and everyone's clapping at you. Uh, or does that, like, if Paul O'Connell would have had a different one where he was carried off on a stretch or someone else would get an injury and train and that ends it. Um, and I suppose from, from your perspective, which I think your competitive spirit has come across really well there and strong, how difficult was it for you to process that injuries stopping me from doing this when you probably felt you were fit enough to still, in, in every other way, shape or form? Was that a difficult one to swallow and accept? Ma- massive. Massive. I'll never forget getting... So I dislocated my, my knee um, on, on a Sunday. We played National League on the Saturday. Right. First challenge match of the year for the club. Right, okay. Typical scenario. It wasn't yeah. even supposed to be playing. Went <laughs> down to... Some, some of the lads didn't show up. Yeah. I had driven down from, from Carrick and Shannon and um, went out. Just a, about a minute before half time. a lad came in on top of me. Uh, I was just pushing off on the left leg. Studs so were in the ground. Studs were in the ground. Yeah. Knee was fully extended and a big lump from Ballantra. Right. <laughs> yeah, about 15 stone plus landed on, on just open, uh, full dislocation of the left yeah. knee. So I did the ACL, the PCL and the MCL in, in one foul swoop and pretty much wiped out the, the cartilage in it as well. <sighs> and 
I remember Doc Loftus, Declan Loftus was the team doctor with Leitrim, an absolute legend for about, I think he was with them for about 25 years. And, uh, you know, it took a good while for me to even get, uh, there was so much swelling mm. to get scans and all this crack. And, and when he finally rang me, I was, I was back in at home, you know, obviously couldn't walk, couldn't drive, yeah. couldn't do anything. Stuck. Stuck. Um, and he just says, yeah, it's, it's, it's the worst I've ever seen, Colin, pretty much. Um, and uh, I remember just hanging up the phone and, uh, yeah, a few tears. Mm. Just because it hit you straight away, the it, it hit me, I, I knew it was so bad. Mm. I had been prepping myself, I was trying to convince myself it mightn't be as bad, okay. But uh, and then all of a sudden, just my entire kind of physical life way, way beyond football, you know, mm. because I, I do, I used to do a lot of and still do a bit now. I'm back doing a bit of, of hill running, mm. mountain running is a big passion of mine, trail running. Um, you know, we played a lot of soccer. Little bit of dabble, we but it's so just starting to dabble a bit of surfing and getting into right. that a little bit. So that's um, all taken away from you in one swoop. And one of the other things I love, absolutely love, is a good dance. Mm. And you know, I was just I've like, seen you in action. <laughs> <laughs> and I, actually, that was one of the things I was like, "Fucking hell, am I never going to yeah. be able to uh, and have, go out and blow off with a great yeah. dance again?" And I went, went downstairs. I remember ho- hobbled down the stairs. We we converted attic in the home place and. Like all the times I've played, my mum has only ever seen me participate in sport once right. in my life, and that was a that was a soccer uh, FAI uh, Junior Cup final, Connacht Cup final, uh, and I think it was, she only happened to be up in Sligo and mm. popped in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she didn't, uh, so she she could see I was upset, and she asked what what was wrong. And I says uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to play a sport again, you know, and she goes that might be for the best. <laughs> How did that sit with you when you heard those words? Like, is like because like, as I said, I'm just trying to comprehend how big of a pill that was a swallow and that I said because I don't think people sometimes realise when someone says to you you can't play people go oh grand you know yourself lots of other things in life go on with it but as you you hit upon it there and I see is that it actually impacts on an awful lot of things and if you're someone that you know is an active person that likes the physical exertion to get the endorphins going to feel good to connect outdoors mm-hmm. it's actually a lot more than people think sometimes in terms of injuries and the impact that they have and then obviously naturally by nature that's going to have an impact on your mental aspect because you're not getting your kicks like it's quite a vicious circle in a way. It's, um, it is. But how do you go about navigating that then? It's it's challenging because, like you said, how I my stress buster mm. was exercise, yeah, um, and and getting out into nature and getting you know up into the top of a mountain on my own with with my dog, and so it really it was probably for me. I think most things in in your life happen for a reason, mm. and it, it it provided me with another serious period of reflection and assessment of of where my identity was and who I was and what I wanted from from life and how I was going to 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 get it and navigate the next few yeah. years of my life and, uh, and what answers do you find in that period because I said they're big questions to be thrown at you yeah you know? they're, like, they're, they're big questions and I got initially just overwhelmed mm-hmm. you know to be frank and absolutely that's completely understandable. honest yeah and at the time like I I, I was I'd finished up with the the, the paper um, I had just finished a, a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. so I was in this complete state of flux, yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, I, I found myself unable to even drive, living back in the home mm-hmm. place with, with mum and dad. And um, so I, I, I decided eventually, after much ruminating and discussion, and you know, soundboarding, and you know, called on some some really good people, yeah. friends, and my, my my network, and decided, okay, well, I, I was going to go back and and um, further my education. And try to move my career into the area of sport. Okay. Um, and 
So that's exactly what I did. I, I did a master's out in UCD in, in um, sports management in mm. 2010, 11. Um, and I'm also a huge believer in providence. And as as often happens when you put your life on a certain path, then doors along that doors path open. open up. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to, a job came up here in Crow Park. Um, not a job that I would have earmarked myself yeah. for at all, um, but it, it, the timing of it, I, I, I was just going for interview the, the week I was due to hand in me or finishing up my thesis and, and went for it and got it and been here six years now. Yeah. I chose to to move it another direction yeah. at, at a stage in my life. I still am lucky enough to be able to, you know, write a column, you know, uh, uh, bi-weekly column with the with the Leitrim Observer back home and, and keeps very much. I miss Leitrim while living in Dublin, um, and because it, that's where all my family is and mm. a big part of my heart. Uh, and it's a great way for me to be able to keep a finger on the pulse of what's happening about yeah. home. What do you miss about Leitrim? Oh, so you've, you've referenced family there. Oh, Joey, yeah, we all hear the phrase "lovely Leitrim," and I've only been in it a few times. And I just find there is something. I don't know if spiritual is the right word. I don't know maybe what the word is, but there's. I just find there's something about Leitrim that, and I think people are aware of it that are from there. It's it's a vortex for lunatics, <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of my favorite that's why things. That's you got kicked out. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, we were at quota. We were at quota. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it has it has some of the best characters I've ever mm. ever come across, but it also has a definite energy that I'm constantly drawn to, and also the pace of life. You know, we were talking about that fast world that we all mm. live in now. I love the antidote of getting up home from Dublin. Like, don't get me—I love Dublin too. You know, there's yeah, the, the city has. But it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance, yeah. and and Leitrim is—you know—it's—it's my—it's um, the yin to the you know yang to the yin, I suppose. Yeah. There's something incredibly brilliant about when you get to be at your auntie's house, your own house. If you have one of those magic houses that has no phone coverage, uh, <laughs> and yeah. imagine there's a few down Leitrim, there's plenty of them in Calvin as yeah. well. Um, and not normally everyone's first reaction is always, oh, there's no coverage here. They're walking around holding the phone up or what's the Wi-Fi? But I don't know, do you, do you find when you go back home that you are able to get that? Particularly, say, referencing back to the Leitrim post time that you had when you were younger where it was very all-consuming and, you know, all over you. Do you find it is important to get those little checkpoints and keep that sort of, I think it's balance is the word I'll stick with, like, but just to have that in your life. Oh, it's it's essential. And even, there's just, you know, up there, if, there, if there's a car two cars in the road, you know, having a chat. Mm. The, the person, the next person who come along doesn't sit on the horn. You know, they usually get out and, and, and see what they're talking about <laughs> and, and join in. And, you know, my, my father was a great, a famous rambling man, you know, like mm. every house, whether he was invited or not or welcome or not, <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd, he'd yeah, call into... Just one of those. And, yeah. uh, you know, he... he I think he imbued a lot of that in me as well. And, you know, it takes any time, any weekend I am up home, it takes me the, the, the weekend to try to see all my, my siblings mm. anyway and all my nephews and yeah. nieces and, uh, you know... Our, it's a connection piece, like. It's a big connection yeah. piece. But there is that, there's that energy around certain locations up there as well that it's it's quite, I, I find it very healing mm. anyway uh, and very therapeutic. And it's, a, it's, it's, it, as I said, Leitrim can be the antidote to, for me to, to to Dublin sometimes, but I think it's also a little bit of the antidote to modern life. Now, that's not to say people don't have their challenges, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and we obviously do, but there's an uh, there's there's an appreciation up there. Uh, there there's an art in in just being and doing nothing. Mm, sometimes present. just being present. Mm. That's um, that, that's I think it, it's it can't but do you good if you tap into it every now mm. and then.
a lot of the stuff that you've you've mentioned there probably does tie back into someone's well being to be just and look you can't if you do that all the time someone can get lost and feel like I'm not going but as you said it's it is a counterbalance thing and one of the last questions in terms of your own play and I suppose forming the conversation on was even though the doc has that call with you and says your knee is gonzo and you're out of action you didn't fully accept that though did you like you were you were ended up back going back in and and playing with the club eventually Am yeah I right now? you're right yeah and it wasn't so much about as it started it wasn't so much about sport it was about it was about getting functionality back mm. in, into my knee and into my life and being able to do what I felt would, would be important to me in terms just even if just, right, long term and keep, like, just even keep, keeping fit and, yeah. and as, as you said being able to go out for a dance with your, mm. with your friends and you know being able to tap into that mm-hmm. element of yourself but with the guidance of, of uh, it was Ray Moore who did the, the operation and then Keith Fox um, was, he's a, he's a nephew of Desi Dolan Senior right. and he was our physio for four years with Leitrim and he's with the Irish rugby team now actually and you know Keith said to me, you know Colin, if you, if you actually follow the programme that I'm putting you on diligently, you know I'll get you back playing. Uh, you know, it might take two years, yeah. but I'll get you there. What went through your mind when you hear that line after uh, probably because you've probably only digested the others or started to exactly what's going uh, your, is your a, head spinning? No, it was a buzz, it was an yeah. absolute buzz. And I just made my mind up there and then I will do anything you say uh, yeah. uh, for as long as you tell me. And if it uh, and how long did you say this was after? The, so I, I got I, I did it on the 24th, the injury on the 24th of February, had mm-hmm. the operation on the 13th of May, which was my mum's birthday, okay, and then probably met Keith for the first time sometime around that uh September, right? October, um, when I was just I'd moved up to Dublin mm-hmm. to, start, to start the course, yeah. Um, so it did, it took two years before I could run again, pretty much, rehabbing it five, six days a week, um, sometimes seven, and got back. Was, was that, sorry, was, was that enjoyable or was that a m- struggle? A mixture of both. Mm. It was, I, I tried to count the blessings that I was able to do it and, and was working towards an end goal. Okay. And, and a few times, if it wasn't for the likes of the help of, of my friend Gareth Phelan, who would have been my club and, and mm-hmm. county goalkeeper, for you know, teammates for our entire career, yeah. and he was my best man a couple of years ago. Right, everyone needs a good goalie. Uh, everyone, everyone does need a good <laughs> keeper. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like Gareth's a physical therapist as well, okay. so he, he worked. He, he complimented what I was doing with Keith. Yes, but he's also like most, and, and, his, and he's more of a supportive mechanism as well. Exactly. So when I couldn't, you know, when I still wasn't driving and stuff, he used to be coming in and getting me in just to go into the gym and do a bit of upper body mm-hmm. stuff, you know. And um, he's a, he's a bit of a you know he's a good shrink as well actually, yeah. Gareth. So he's like a lot of therapy, you know, <laughs> like a lot of physios or physical yeah. therapists, you know, that they're they're skilled in the in the arts of listening to people, and mm-hmm. um, so it. it it, it was a, a, and then at times, because it was so basic initially, I was just learning the need to walk again. So it was frustrating, of course, as well, stepping up and stepping yeah. down and stepping up and stepping down. That's frustrating for anybody, I'd say. But obviously then when you're coming from a place where you've been performing to a high level and, as you said, you're all, like that competitive spirit, it gets, it is a grind as well. Like I think it's important to probably recognise that, that it's not just, you know. Uh, oh, it's a grind. It's a grind. Oh, it's like, a proper grind. Mm-hmm. You have to find the the, the humour in it sometimes. Like you know, <laughs> where it, did those spots come from? I, like I was, I was in a in a, an apartment in Fisherman's Wharf in Irish Town, up on like the third floor, with uh, a, a mate of mine, Kevin Hockey from Dun- Letter, uh, Donegal Town, who had also found himself back in UCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were we were freshers at the age of <laughs> thirty four, <laughs> the two of us. Uh, so there was 
so that was it was actually brilliant timing to have a, a wingman yeah um and so, uh, like that but i used to i used to i lived on one of those wee trampettes you know the little trampolines the wee yes, tiny the ones. Small ones so every evening when i come in from college i'd just be on it for about two hours and it just i could see the people across the the, the courtyard you know and all they could see was this fella's head you know bobbing up and down for about, <laughs> and there would be actually people out on their balconies like what the Hell is going on in that apartment? Boy, boy, boy. Yeah, or, or heading down to the Markovic um, community gym and pool there, which, which, right. are, which are city boy and see belt on you, you know, to go aqua running mm. when there was all these people, lads in, you know, pumping big iron and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you're heading off to the pool with a nappy on you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you have to find those wee pieces of, you know, almost, um, I don't know, what it is, irony or, yeah. or, or what it is. <laughs> To keep you going. Mm. And then just really, what worked very well for me at the time, and I'd recommend to people, uh, you know, if, if you're on a long recovery journey where it's very slow incremental mm-hmm. improvements, is to keep a, wee, a journal. Journal. And to, to mark the little improvements. And also when you get setbacks, because a little thing, at the early stages of such big recovery rehabs I found anyway there often isn't rhyme or reason to why you progress and what, take mm. one step forward two steps back yeah. one day two steps forward one step back the next flux. day and then all of a sudden you start seeing a bit of a of progression and, and right. pattern and if you can trace that through the journal yeah. and see what you're doing it, it's, it's it's it helped me in the mind space mm. anyway definitely from listening to you over the last while I get the impression that you always got a sense that the GA was about more than just playing or more than just winning. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, for, as I said, you know, tracing it back for me for that kind of entry into my own community, I was always very mm-hmm. grateful for that. And, yeah. and you know, I, I think back when we we went to Fela down in, in Galway back in, it must have been 85 or, or thereabouts. And, you know, I had a brilliant trip. Uh, I was staying with Aidan Dolan. Uh, he's still a great mate today. And, uh, you know, the Sunday morning then, you know, everyone into cathedral, Galway Cathedral for, for Mass, you know, <laughs> and I could just see our two mentors, I think it was Jimmy Jimmy Phelan and, and Terry Tiffany, the two of them just looked at each other and they go, Jesus, what about Regan? <laughs> you know, As if you're going to mess. I know. The, the, I was like, lads, I, I, it's all right. I, I have been in a, in a Catholic church before. <laughs> you know, I, I'm all good. Uh, and actually, I hadn't really been in them that often, but yeah. I, I was looking forward to the whole experience. And I got the, the few of the boys to give me the lowdown on, you know, how to do, yeah, how to bless myself. Yeah. And you know, I went up and got the, got the communion and all that. So, That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always, it's always been a, you know, for me, even that, to get to share that with the lads. Yeah. Everything was good crack and you know a bit of banter at a, from from the get go and uh, so it has I've and I've seen um, Mickey Michael McGowan is kind of the, the, the godfather of Melvin Gale right. you know and he was the principal of the De La Salle School and oh, that's where most of the team went but I, you know I went to boarding school up in, mm-hmm. in Rafaux so. Mickey and my dad would have been you know of of, of cut from the same tree yes. similar ilk and. Uh, I just loved the fact that through football I got to know Mickey and mm. you know he at one stage in the, I think the late 70s he was Leitrim County Chairman senior and under 21 manager okay. uh, and, and probably you know <laughs> psychologist for the minors <laughs> as well uh, and uh, you know, I, I travelled up and down the by roads of, of the country and Leitrim with Mickey you know, and me in the passenger mm. seat and you know, he gave me an education in life. That's what I was just going to say you must pick up you probably don't realise at the time, but when you reflect on, say, conversations that you either are part of or over here, ah. 
He must have picked up an awful lot, did he? Ah, uh, he's like just hilarious. So he <laughs> and he, you know he he was you know fluent in, in Irish and in Latin, and you know he was a fine hurler and. Mm. Um, uh, like, well, it's just a simple example would be you know stopping off on on uh, the eve of of May Day on the way home from a from a Leitrim match to to pick uh, Mayflowers in a field and you know when we got home put them out on the the windowsills and the footstools of the house and here's there now make sure you put them out and keep keep the fairies away from the house <laughs> tonight you know yeah. and it, it was it was so much more than an education about football that's what I was just going to say because we know we referenced on from your own self and the identity sense and maybe realise from an early age that there's more going on here and there's more to you. And I, that just the line you gave me about, amongst other things, I think really captured it. But it, it sounds like a chunk of that probably came from that source. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and you know, I think Mickey, the, as we call him, was probably the only man the dad would have allowed come to our house and pick me up in a, in a yeah. field that the, the hay was down for bailing in yeah. or, you know, just or come over to the bog and take me away because he knew... That Mickey was his hard worker, the hardest working man that would mm. you know he'd live in the bog himself if he yes. if, if that was, was needed. But if if I was wanted for football then, and Mickey wanted me, then there must have been a good enough reason for mm. it. And then Dad actually started getting into you know following all the the, the club and the county a bit as well, and uh, that that brought that bit of pride for me then sure. as well. I suppose and that Dad, uh, you know, he was a fairly. He was a larger than life character and very visible, you know, and whether he was wearing a, a big blue sombrero at the at the Melvin Gales matches or, you know, a, a big straw hat or, or ten gallon hat at the Leitrim matches with the with the green and gold tied into it. So he was the only voice that I that I could sta- you'd hear standing out mm. in the crowd, you know, in a full house in Park Sean yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was for me it was it, it was a, a, a the GA always represented community for me mm. rather than just the games. It's a really, really strong point, and I think it'll, it'll lead us in nicely to, I suppose, your work at the moment and what you're doing. You mentioned that you started here in Crow Park in 2011, so I suppose maybe you might just explain a little bit of sort of where that came from and where it is now and what you're doing, and really just, I suppose, yeah, why you're doing it and the benefit of it, really. The feedback from clubs was that, you know, that we're looking for something more holistic, and I, I, I've always appreciated that every single facet of your health is in is linked and intertwined i don't believe there's anything just uh, there isn't just emotional health or physical health or social health one and uh, our spiritual health they're all interlinked and interdependent and so we sat down with the department of, of health um chief medical officer dr tony Hulahan and biddy o'neill from the um, hse's health promotion division at the time and said look at Let's look at devising a model that that focuses a, a more holistic approach to health and looks at the, the GAA club as that that could become a hub for health mm-hmm. for its members, but also reaching that influence out into the the wider community. So over the last uh, four five years now, um, we've been devising this here model that the GAA healthy club model, um, and we started out just with a very small number uh, 16 clubs with two mentoring clubs in phase one uh, four from each province um, that ran for kind of two years as we were trying to develop the model then two years ago we went into phase two and that was um, 60 clubs there's at least one in each county involved in it now and on the 4th of november actually they're going to be recognized in here in crow park as the the gas and actually ireland's first official healthy clubs Brilliant. so you'll have heard of healthy schools and healthy cities yes. and there's actually a healthy county network even now okay so this is the first time that it's been transferred into the sports, sports club. club setting 
uh, and it's kind of following the, the 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 principles of health promotion as laid down in the Ottawa Charter by the World Health Organization that individuals can only play a certain amount on, of influence on their own health and well-being, and uh, they are the they are obviously a significant yes. uh, part in terms of the, uh, determining their, their behaviours and actions um, and their social ne- networks and choices. But the settings in which we live, work and play, the environment mm-hmm. also has a massive influence on, on, on how... Uh, let's, uh, a very simple example in a GA club. If underage players are given fizzy drinks and crisps after training sessions mm-hmm. and matches, uh, then... Ha- that is at odds with the the philosophy that we're trying to promote around healthy eating, and we know that Ireland has a massive obesity problem, mm-hmm. especially with juvenile uh, boys, young boys and girls uh, at the moment. So instead, if a club can make a simple shift through some healthy eating guidelines that they provide water and fruit, mm-hmm. and from the experience of the of the, the sixty clubs in phase two, once that shift is made and becomes the norm, the young the, the children love it yeah. the juveniles love it that's that's what they seek out and they know that that's what their county players are doing they mm. want to emulate them if they possibly can it's as creating well. i suppose it's creating more it's creating an environment that can help people to flourish and to be well rather than not trying to make someone be well but giving more opportunities for wellness is that a fair summation uh, of it uh, in, a, in a line the kind of elevator pitch our, our mission is to make the gaa a healthier place for yeah. everybody to enjoy and a healthy club isn't just about what we put into our bodies or how much we run around. Sure. It's about making sure that everybody has the opportunity to express themselves at a level that reflects their ability, you know, and it, to recognise that it's just not acceptable for any youngster to sit on a bench while mm. the, the 15 best players are running up and down the field for 60 minutes. And... It's also about making sure that our clubs are open and inclusive and uh, you know, welcoming um, the new Irish and new elements of our community, but also that we're cognizant of the older members of our community and, and are, is our club age-friendly yeah. and are, you know, are we giving back to those on whose shoulders we are standing and maybe helped develop our clubs and our communities in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s when Ireland was on its knees? Yeah, you gave, I suppose... Of the last couple of weeks, I was reading different things that you'd done, but you gave an interview on the GA website, j.e. So before I get to that, for anyone that wanted to find out more about the healthy club stuff, what's the link on the website for that? Yeah, it's gaa.ie forward slash community. And cool. we're, we're hoping to go into phase three at the start of 2018 uh, right. and open it up to about 150 clubs. So if there, um, you know, we, we'll be opening up expressions of interest. And if any club is interested in getting on board, and uh, a, a bit of a, a shameless plug here, we just have to give a huge thanks to, to Irish Life who have come on board as, as CSR partners with us on this here initiative as well. We couldn't have got to... We couldn't be looking at the scaling up to, of, of the Healthy Club project to a national project without their support and the ongoing support of the, the, the Department of Health and uh, the Healthy Ireland. Well, the evolution has been huge and that article on the GA website was around sort of the development of that and, and I suppose getting the GA to a healthier place. Uh, but I picked out a quote and when I read it, it felt really strong and, and I was going to read it out. I'll read it and I, I think I have a better sense of where it came from now anyway, but the quote was that it's not good enough for us just to say that people are feeling disenfranchised from their clubs and some communities. We have a responsibility to bring them in and this is one of the ways that we can give something back. That's obviously a huge driver within you and a huge motivation for the work that you've done because as you've, said, you've mentioned already, there has been a massive amount of evolution and it must be the place that it's in now, it must fill you with it 
certain degree of pride of, of what's happened and where it's potentially going to go to. It's very, very humbling, Alan, uh, because it's all been driven by volunteers mm-hmm. in their clubs. And the GA has always played a huge part in, in the in supporting the health of its of its members and on its communities through obviously the physical activity of engaging in our Gaelic games, but also the kind of social cohesion that it provides. And you know, we know from research that the most the biggest driver of health in somebody's life is the number of genuine connections that they have with mm. people in their life, people that they can turn to in times of need. That's the biggest driver of health in the GA, believe it or not. <laughs> Sometimes it might be the best thing for our <laughs> mental health, no. uh, especially when you're coming from Leitrim, but uh, it, it is a massive supporter. So uh, now when I see the time and effort that volunteers are putting into their, their work at the healthy clubs, but also now we have a National Health and Wellbeing Committee, four Provincial Health and Wellbeing Committees and 32, 31 of 32 counties of Health and Wellbeing Committees in place. And these people are coming on doing this here after their day's work. Yes. You know, they're, they're bringing their experience and their expertise, but also their desire to see the GAA be the best mm-hmm. sports association and community association that it can possibly be. And it's, it's extremely humbling and very rewarding. Yeah, it's like there's loads in that, and I think it's. I know we we referenced earlier on say that culture of business and how society evolves and changes sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse in different ways. But there is a lot of time the society does find a way to self correct in a, in a way, um, and I think the healthy club is given places, is given a place to communities, be it schools, the teams, the wider community, an opportunity to correct things or make things. I suppose maybe the. I think the best way to describe it is make things a little bit better. Like that's, that's, We're not looking to, well, in our own way, we are looking to change the world a little yeah. bit, but only a little bit and, mm. for, and for the better. And, you know, sometimes that can seem an impossible task, but uh, the, I always love the environmental phrase, uh, you know, think globally and act locally. Mm. Uh, and everybody can have a part to play in their own club in in and making it a, a slightly better dub. One of the best ways you can do that is just by getting involved as a volunteer yeah. you know, and spreading the load. On the, we hear a lot about player burnout. Volunteer mm. burnout is, a fa- is, is every bit, if not more, of a, of, a, of a challenge for all sporting associations and federations at the moment. So, you know, we can all play a positive part and just find what you can do at your capacity and bring that little bit of expertise that you might have from your own particular life experiences or your profession to the to the fore of your club that's trying to do the best for your children and the other children in your community. Like I think that sense of community and maybe the the aspect of giving back. Like I think it was something that maybe drifted to a to a degree during say Celtic Tiger years and, and there's loads of different we're not going to all the the economic and the political and whatever you want to call them factors. But I would like I noticed it too, but one of the things that I always struck me with the G, the GAA was that no matter what was going on, no matter what was happening, one time that it always united very quickly was when there was a death. Like, um, I actually I knew I was going to be talking to this week, and I watched a documentary on Axel Foley last week. Did you watch it? No, I've um, recorded. Yeah, like it's, it's, it, it was, re- it, it was really that. strong. Like, um, and you just sensed the how so their sport was obviously rugby and how it quickly united a group because there's a huge sense of loss and it's got to help even though it might be in their social norms to have certain conversations and to be vulnerable and to admit different things like I thought it was really really powerful how a sporting institution or whatever can be that community or sport network in itself and I was going to ask you around about what Philip McGuinness back 2010 if you're not comfortable talking about it it's fine um, I just thought 
when that strikes and I said bereavement is something that we all have to process and it, I know from talking to loads of people it's one of the things that causes such a strong impact on mental health of people at times because but unfortunately it just enters lives when sometimes we're least expecting it that obviously for yourself for his club for his family for his county must have been an awful lot to digest and I think the GA rallied really powerfully at that time yeah what was, was that fair to say yeah it was it was coming you know Believe it or not, it was 12 years after the county had experienced another massive loss mm. in Shane McGettigan, you know, and Shane, yes. Shane would have been a great friend of mine. I played minor and under 21 with him with Leitham when he died in a building site accident over in Boston, uh, along with a lad, Ronan Stewart, from from um, from County Louth. And uh, Phillies was an in-game mm. tragedy. Uh, it was against my own club, actually, Marvin yeah. Gales. Just a, a completely Freak freakish and accidental clash uh, off the head and he never regained consciousness mm-hmm. um, and I remember, I remember us even leaving the field uh, that day and you know Philly's brother Michael who would have been a, a county teammate of mine for years as was Philly obviously mm. um, and his other brother John wasn't playing that day if I recall correctly with the club um, and when we were heading off you know the ambulance had arrived we yeah. just thought Philly's going to be taken yeah, off right, and, right. you know we'll, we'll, we'll check in on the next morning and then the next morning we were woken up, I was woken up, I just, that Philly's up in Bowman, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're going to have to turn off the machine. And it was it was just such a, such a shock. Um, and myself and Gareth feeling headed for Dublin and the Mohill lads and Leitrim teammates were, a lot of them had made the trip up to the city. And afterwards, you know, there was, it, it really rocked our own club. Uh, as well and shook it but it also like you said it brought the GA it brought out the very best in, mm. in the GA at the time and, and I, I hope um, that, that that the McGuinnesses um, had the same have, looking back now on it feel, mm. feel, feel the same because um, I, I, I just had the, I was at the GPA past players dinner the day before the football final and Michael was up Michael right. said his brother you know sitting beside me and you know I've, often uh, you know, when I think of Philly, you know, might drop Michael a text on his on his anniversary and the likes. And um, th- there was a there was a bond created at that time, a right between the, the the players and the whole community, and um, it helped. Uh, it helped deal with a, an extremely difficult situation. Um, and I remember Mickey Mickey Hart came down. Uh, to give a, a, a kind of a what you might call uh, a, a debrief session or a, a of a talk with the Leitrim panel afterwards and you know one of the things that really struck with me that, that he said because we were heading into to championship the player was common in the hide and uh, you know I, I had injured I had the injury so mm-hmm. I wasn't, wasn't going to be playing but the other lads he, you know he said to the boys and we had a really good discussion it wasn't that Mickey was talking to us at all he was facilitating discussion within the squad about how we were feeling and mm. what emotions the whole experience had brought up and we were just talking about the match and you know he noted just the importance you know you can't go out and win this game for Philly mm. you know because there's no that, that, that guarantee doesn't exist in sport uh, you might want to but you can't guarantee that but what you can do is you can go out and you can give your absolute all um, and you can play the way that Fiddy always mm. played. Uh, and then, you know, you can actually live with the result happily uh, and, and, you know, have no regrets and, yeah. you know, know that if Fiddy is looking down from somewhere that, that he'll he'll know that too, that you gave your all. So 
one of the, I remember it was similar at the time when Shane died. Uh, and, you know, there was the added trauma for the family of getting Shane's body home from Boston. And I'll never forget standing on, at the bottom of the hilly road up in Drumshambo when the, the, the hearse was coming down from from Dublin. And, you know, I'm still very close with Charlie and, and Gretty and, mm. and, and Shane's sisters. Um, called in on them just a couple of weeks ago, actually, when I was when I was, and went out to visit Shane's grave up in Drumshambo, you know, and still hard to to believe, you know, that it's that 1998 and mm. the age of 21. Uh, but again, there was just this coming together uh, of the GA community, but the the entire community uh, that helped ca- carry some of the weight mm. and share some of the grief and allowed a space for me as a young man at the time of Shane's funeral and as a slightly older man <laughs> at the time of Phillies to um, have a space to be that little bit vulnerable in yes, um, and to, to have a few shoulders to lean on mm. when, when you needed it and to actually learn an awful lot from that grieving pe- period and experience mm. and to see that even in the midst of great loss and trauma uh, there is there is um it's okay to to feel like that mm. at that time but also to to transition through that grief as well um and to, to then to learn to, to live with the loss and that's what you do you live with that loss much you know obviously much more so for the for the McGettigans and the uh, the McGuinnesses and I think their example is an example to us all and you know I lost a brother myself Gordon in in 2002 in, in a car crash here's the next one up from me mm. And the way the GA community rallied, rallied around, around at that time, yeah. you know, even though you're in a daze, and uh, you know, you're 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 living in, with one foot in in two worlds mm. at a time of loss like that. Um, it's only afterwards that you you realise, Jesus, you know, such and such haven't seen that man yeah. since we played DIT in Trench Cup mm. in 1997. You know and uh, you know, five years later, there they are, making a trip halfway across the country just to let them let you know that they heard about your loss and they want to they, they want to let you know that they're thinking about you. Yeah, and that's that's powerful stuff. I really really enjoyed having that conversation with Colin, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. For me, it was a timely reminder that while we all want to be our best in Excel, there's also much more important things in the world than only caring for winning or losing. After the conversation we had in Crow Park, I spent a long time thinking about the importance of connection, both with people and places, and there's no doubt that the GA can help build those networks when harnessed in the right way. For anyone that would like to learn more about the GA's Healthy Club project, please go to www.ga.ie forward slash community. That's ga.ie forward slash community. Last but not least, to help out Alan Kearns, who featured in episode 13 of this podcast, I'm running through a bog on November 4th to help raise funds for a children's home in Zambia. It saves and changes the lives of many, and it's a project that he's been supporting for over 10 years. If any listener can spare a couple of euro, I'd really appreciate the support, as I can guarantee you that any donation you make, no matter how big or small, will positively impact on a life in ways that you can't even imagine. You can find the link to my fundraising page in the article of this podcast on realtalks.ie or you can get it on Twitter as it's pinned to the top of my timeline. Just search for AOM The Cat into the Twitter box. That's A-O-M-T-H-E-C-A-T, AOM The Cat. My name is Alan O'Mara and you've been listening to episode 16 of the Real Talks podcast. <laughs>